Thanks for joining us on Own and Operated, where every week we will be diving deeply into our operating businesses that we own and talking about the reality of entrepreneurship, as well as diving into businesses we are considering acquiring. Today, we're going to talk about my background, so that way you as a listener get an understanding of where I'm coming from as we progress through this show. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to Owned and Operated. And this is the second part of a two-part intro where we're just giving the origin story of Brandon and myself. That way, as the show continues, you can really understand the perspective that we're coming from and understand our past. So part two of this is actually going to be John and his background story. Just yeah. preparing for my, my round of questioning. I'm, I'm breathing deep. <laughs> I think it's best we probably start the same way we did the first one here is you give us your background, kind of where this started, how you decided to get into it. Like get into the trades or get into... I think we start all the way back from square one. How did you decide to buy a company? That's probably square three, honestly. Oh, all right. Okay, so I grew up with my dad owning his own business and his own real estate and sort of making his own way. And I never realized until I was a sort of a young adult, 18, maybe 20, the difference in a mindset that that makes. My then girlfriend, now wife, Bridget, both of her parents were corporate America, big ass companies. And just the difference between her siblings, it's not bad or good, it's just different, but the difference between her siblings and their level of desire or level of interest in entrepreneurial pursuits, it's non-existent. Whereas in my family, they saw my dad owning his own company. They saw my dad owning his own real estate. So almost every adult in my family works for themselves. At this point, my oldest sister self-employed, my oldest brother self-employed, next oldest sister is a real estate agent and planning on buying and owning companies. And I obviously buy and own companies. So you got a whole family of entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. And I think it's your perspective. It's your upbringing. So our perspective was seeing that. And if my perspective had been different, then I probably would not be doing this. Where did this whole story start then? So you got, you got the background. The whole family's entrepreneurs. It's kind of inevitable that you're going to do something. At what point did you say, hey, I want to get into my dad's business and start owning? Well, my whole life, I had fought against it. And when I first went to college, I went to college for graphic design. Even then, I knew I was going to work for myself. I'm going to get out. I'm going to work for somebody for a couple of years, and then I'll start my own graphic design firm. <laughs> so there was, never, there was never a question where it's going to end. As far as my, the family business... I grew up working in it. I started at 10. I was going into fifth grade. It was the first summer I worked for my dad. I think I got $5 a day. <laughs> Such bullshit. <laughs> like, I got to look back. It's got to be illegal. And I think my, my first job was literally he dumped me off on one of his real estate projects and told me to move a pile of bricks. Like, that was my first memory of working. And then I would help him flip empty apartment units and then it slowly turned into painting them. Then it turned into helping the guys on the trucks. And back then, the real estate and the plumbing company were the same company. He ran probably 100 multifamily units inside the corporation that also housed the plumbing, which was kind of interesting. So were your siblings ever involved as you were in this? My memory is that they were not as involved. A few of the other ones worked summers. Like my sister Ann and I painted this one building, and it took an entire three months to do I think other ones kind of filed in the office or took out trash. My older brother worked in the field a little bit as a helper, but it was an attitude thing, so it just couldn't continue. I was really the only one that kept going, and 
It wasn't because I loved it. I just really, I liked having money. When you came into that, did you intend on being a technician or was it always, I'm here to eventually start to take over what my dad started or when the what your grandparents started? I was starting in the truck at 18, probably running my own calls at 19. And at the time, I only had my dad as an example, which my dad at that time was very much a technician owner. Go out on jobs, still fix stuff, also do the quoting, also run the business. So that being my example, that's what I thought it looked like. So I was sort of steering towards that direction for the first couple of years. At 20 or 21, I got a really deep fascination with personal finance and just how money worked and how investing worked. Before that, I really didn't know it or understand it. So I started looking into it and realized, I think I need to go back to school, but this time for accounting, because it just seems like I just knew a lot of wealthy people that were accountants. My dad, as an example, he owned real estate, he owned a company, he was doing a lot of interesting things, and his degree was accounting. I knew a guy who's a customer of ours, and they have like 50 McDonald's. He was an accountant. He bought them. His son's an accountant. His son's now the CEO. I can probably think of like 10 more examples of accountants being small business owners that were able to drive substantial wealth in their life. So I went back to school. It was sometime during the school, I don't remember exactly when, the conversations about me buying in started to become serious, and I was maybe 23. And I was like, okay, I, I can see the future here. There was a lot of other stuff in there. Like we almost got bought out twice and I would have like joined their organization on the executive side. And the end result is I ended up with it and I'm grateful to that, that that was the path. So when, when did that transition? So you had a, you had a turbulent college path. Where did that play in? How did that fit into this whole thing? You, know, you came in and out of it. The company purchase was there. You switched from one degree into accounting to better position yourself for that. You know, how did that all factor into this? What was really going on was I was 21. I had this deep fascination with finance and investing, and I was turning wrenches during the day. And I felt trapped in my own skin. I didn't like where I was going, and I didn't want to be a technician for the rest of my life. I didn't feel like it was a good use of my strengths and my brain. So I, I first went back to school in accounting as what I thought was a way to get out of the business. It was kind of scary at that time because I was, yeah, 21, 22. My only experience was turning wrenches. And at that time I was kind of service managing, but like looking back, doing it very badly. And I didn't see a future anywhere else. And it was difficult to be in the business and not be a partner. Paul Nice employee-employer relationship wasn't very good, but our partnership relation has been great. So it felt like the right move at the time to get out of the business. So the accounting degree was going to be that way. So I was going to go get an accounting degree and I was going to go make my way as an employee somewhere else in the meantime. And only towards the tail end of that program, which was like two and a half years is how much time I spent in school, did it turn into, well, maybe there's a real opportunity here and maybe I don't have to go. Maybe I can buy in. How I started going and how I ended were like very different mindsets with where I was at. So you got through college, you got the accounting knowledge, you started getting into purchasing the first portion of the company, right? It was a two, mm-hmm. two stage process. Mm-hmm. Where, where was your mindset in all this? Your dad, you know, he's stepping out or at least stepping down from an ownership position, bringing you in as a partner. How did all that play out family-based business? It was weird. I think I've talked about it elsewhere. One, it's weird as a family-based business because you have to, I have six siblings, so 
anything that we did in this transaction, everyone had to be on the same page about because I didn't want to have a brawl on my parents' deathbed. I still don't over someone thinking I got a sweetheart deal on the company or just bad blood for whatever reason. We had a, a proper valuation done. It, it probably took a year or a year and a half of lunch every week. It was every Wednesday at the Akron Family Restaurant. We would go and eat lunch for an hour and we would talk about how the transaction goes, how that first half goes, how to do it, where to get the money, just all the details. Yeah, it took about a year and a half to finalize. We started when I was 23, finishing up what I was going to do in accounting, and then we finished it at 25. But yeah, it was a lot of ups and downs because I don't think my dad at the time was ready to go. So it was kind of like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And I think when it finally happened, October of 2016, it was like, holy smokes. I think that just happened. <laughs> like, it, was like, it was just, it was hard to believe. Now you're, you're part owner of the company. You had not been previously in a management position, correct? I had been in a service manager position for about a year by the time I was a part owner. I think I started late 2015. So you jump in now. What's the big thing you did? I'm assuming you probably had some great underlying ideas that you wanted to implement yeah. the second you got in. So oh what'd you do so right when you started? The very first thing I did, it was February 2016. I sat the whole company down for what I then called State of the Wilson. It was change management. So here's what's going to happen over the next 12 months. Here's what to expect. Here's when to expect it. So we switched over to flat rate pricing. At that time, we were moving to cloud-based from paper. We added a price book. We added incentive comp. It was a lot. In that very first year, we did a bunch of changes. Did you have any turnover from that? No, none meaningful. I think we had like helpers leave. But at the time, the company was so small. And I think the other guys were like probably asking for those changes. They're like, hey, can we go flat rate? Seems like it'd be easier, right? And can we not be on paper? We were on paper until almost 2017. That was three years ago or four years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, that was real. And I kind of forget about it now. <laughs> Don't think we never go back. Yeah, never yeah, going back. Yeah, never going back. But yeah, so I, I laid out the plan. I'm sure I could even find it. It was in Google Docs. I think we even switched us over to Google, like the G Suite in that year and rebuilt our website. And it was a whole thing. We really doubled down on the technology of the company in that first year. I did most of it wrong, and most of the decisions were, like, the flat rate system was bad. The cloud-based system was bad. Did you try building your own flat rate system at first? No. So we're on the current one that we're on. That was our fifth one since 2016. So the first one we were on was CS2. The second one was Profit Rhino. third one was Bracket Pricing. That one we built our own. And the fourth one was a $50 book I bought off Amazon, I think. <laughs> and, and what did you walk into? Uh, like, what was it when you... I actually don't remember. To be honest, we jumped in. The first thing we did is I was SGI from day one implementation, so I don't even think I really paid attention at the time to it. It was just going to change it. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I don't have any recollection of what it was at that time. Yeah, at first, that was a blur. Yeah, <laughs> It was yeah, SGI yeah. straight off. For sure. So we went through a bunch. And cloud-based, too, when we first started, we were using QuickBooks Online, so everyone had access to QuickBooks Online through the iPad. So they would make their invoice right there on the iPad. They'd accept signatures. And it was made for it, but it, things got confusing because people had direct access to QuickBooks. And we switched to Service Titan, I think, in late 2017. So when did part two happen of the, the acquisition? 2019. 2019, okay. Yeah, halfway through. So did R&R happen pre or post? I don't really think very often ever <laughs> on my career before R&R because it was so not meaningless. I was very in the business. I was service managing. I was firefighting. 
half the time still out there doing repairs. So that was 2016, 2017, going into 18. In 2017, I was like, we need to grow because I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be firefighting. I don't want to be this far into the day-to-day. We were growing so little despite making good changes. I think we grew 30%. It was 40% in 2016 because I had been able to enact some changes. And then 2017, we grew like 1%. So it was like, what's what's happening? And, and what was happening was I was out of bandwidth and Paul was out of bandwidth. So that was the last low growth year that we've had. I started sending out letters to other contractors, R&R. We had had a conversation with them in the year years past and the owner was finally ready to go. Really that deal is what took my career from like a three to a nine because I finally got to step back and take an executive view of the company, not be in the day-to-day, just sort of lead the company instead of, you know, pushing it or prodding it along. I hardly ever think of pre-R&R. And uh, R&R's transaction was February 19th, 2018. So could you give a little insight into what happened? So you you purchased R&R and you were able to step back. How did the operations continue? Who took over? Yeah. How did that all go down? To me, that was the funnest part. I had two companies. One had 10 employees and one had 14. So Wilson had 14. I got to sit there and figure out how they were going to go together, meld org charts, figure out the entire concept. It was fun to strategize. That's when I was like, holy crap, acquisitions are fun. Stressful, but fun. So what I did was I took a step back and I created a leadership team, which at the time we had no managers and R&R had one manager. So the organizations were really flat. So that was a big adjustment that February going from everyone had direct access to an owner to now there's middle managers. And at first I created six, which was too many in hindsight. Having never done this, I think I just like assigned management positions. (laughs) And I had a business coach that was sort of helping me through the process. And he helped me with the org chart. And that's what we came up with. So you stepped back. Did everything go smooth? Did everything go the way you expected it? Or how did that go, you know, those first, say, six months into the acquisition? So I stepped back and Ken was their service manager. He took over as our salesperson. Paul was in charge of HVAC and Lynn was in charge of plumbing. Paul was my dad and Lynn was the former owner of R&R. So if there were issues, a lot of them, they tried to deal with themselves. Overall, I would not say it went smooth at all. I think that there were leadership problems. It took me too long to recognize as essentially a new CEO at that point. I didn't understand the leadership problems. And I thought that you could nice guy your way through them instead of be transparent and be hold managers accountable. So that was a, it was a lot of leadership failures on my part. How long do you think it took you to recognize those? A year. And then there was a lot of issues that came from that lack of leadership. I just, I thought the people were good and I thought the talent was good that was running the organization. And I thought I had people in the right seats and I didn't devote much more thought to it. I didn't think critically on, well, are they in the right seats? It was more like, well, that they're in that job and that means they're going to die there. I don't know. That's just how my dad ran the company. So now it's like, okay, this manager is not doing what they should be doing. And this, what do we do now? I thought you just sort of like coached and talked and I never knew how to go that extra mile to say, hey, maybe this isn't a fit. Probably a year and a half of problems, communication problems and growth problems. We still grew as a company, but not as much as we could have. So for some foreshadowing, those lessons, you learned them in the one time or did it take a few times to learn that that lesson? Yeah. I mean, everything takes me multiple times. <laughs> maybe it used to. I think a lot of stuff I can learn now, but it's also because I have the time to like sit back and reflect on what happened wrong. And now there's like guiding principles like, oh, I've seen this story before. 
I know what happened last time. I don't need to do it again. So since it's just the general background, we'll fast forward a little bit, right? So you had the acquisition of R&R. Yep. You started learning all those lessons. Yep. You brought a new management. Yep. And now we're coming up to the big acquisitions that kind of set you up where you are today. Why this podcast even exists, Twitter, all this stuff came from a spur of either startups or purchases and kind of critical decisions. Home yeah. repair being one. So yeah. let's start, I guess, probably home repair is probably a good idea to start with there. Well, so home repair was an idea that I had. It started in 2018. We were having trouble finding contractors to close walls. And that was really the start of it. I was like, I feel like we can solve our own problem and I feel like we can profit. So what we did was we started looking into the Mr. Handyman concept through Neighborly. And that was like solid six months. I reached out to them in maybe November of 2018. We went to the franchise walkthrough where they sort of do the sales pitch and explain the franchise to you and how you can never do this business without a franchise. And we were all about it. So we picked our territory and our territory was available and it seemed like a slam dunk. And we were really disappointed because they didn't end up allowing us to do the program. And we found that out maybe four months later, it was in March. We had started in November, and they didn't do it because we owned a plumbing and heating company, and they saw that as a competitive service to their Mr. Rooter, AirServe, you know, whatever else. So they denied us, and that, like, super bummed me out because I was like, this is a great idea. And we were going to save a ton of money because we had this shared services. Like, they had Service Titan at a crazy discount compared to us. They had discounts on Enterprise Fleet Management. They had discounts on Scorpion. Like, all of our prime vendors, they also use and, but much cheaper, <laughs> which was like, like we were going to make the franchise fee back in a year, I think, from all the savings. So I was super disappointed. And then maybe after about a month of sort of like being bummed, I was like, I do, we can still do this. We understand truck-based businesses. I think we can just do it and see what happens. That is what we did. Set up a marketing campaign, made it called it Wilson Home Repair. It became a division of the plumbing company. Set a start date for, I think, July 1st. Ended up being July 15th, I think, just because of hires. So I had to learn how to recruit in an industry I had no idea about. Because I knew plumbing, so I could do plumbers okay. But I had no clue how to do handyman and, like, home repair guys. That was just weird. And the goal was three trucks pretty quick. So I brought on one guy. Then I brought on a second within a month or two. And the results at first were pretty good. Like, we were doing thirty and 40000 a month. But we kept getting into projects bigger than I wanted. And yeah, just so many lessons learned. The biggest one that I learned, and I've always somewhat known this about myself, but it was really confirmed with home repair, is my preference is always going to be to set it and forget it or set it and then check-ins. I'm not a manager. That was the big one because that division potentially could have gone better with a real investment with a day-to-day manager who was accountable for driving results in that division. But it didn't. And to me, that was really the biggest takeaway, was if I'm ever going to do another auxiliary service again, someone has to actually run it. Because I sort of set it up on autopilot, and that was the wrong move. And we ended up with problems because of it. So it sounds like a little bit of a foreshadowing to a company called Cut and Dry Restoration. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, like, it's a year after cut, or it's a year after home repair, and we're we're approaching 12 months in, Brandon is with me by that time, and home repairs got problems. They were probably fixable, but there were more important fish to fry in our business. So we decided, let's just shut it down, which was 
the right decision. <laughs> but also in a sort of an emotional journey because home repair was something that at that point I had been invested in for almost two years. That was my first business launch. So it was kind of interesting to kill it a year after I launched it and a year and a half after really getting invested into the idea. But it was the right move. But then we saw an opportunity in the damage remediation space. Some talent became available because of COVID layoffs and bankruptcies. And we're like, let's jump in here. And the biggest lessons I learned from home repair, I took them right into cut and dry. I started the business with an operator. I got into a business that I felt like could still generate a ton of cross lead flow from the plumbing company. I have like a whole five page document of lessons learned from home repair. (laughs) And I tried to solve most of them with cut and dry, which is funny because even after launching cut and dry, maybe two months in, I learned a lot of lessons there. And then we relaunched the Cleveland location and I put all those lessons right into that. So I, I think it's like, not to be a guru, we've allowed our mistakes to sort of happen, fail forward, and then we've allowed that knowledge to compound. And every time we do something different, like we're on our third launch now in two years, and each one's been better than the last and more successful than the last. And it's just compounding. And I'm looking forward to the fourth because I'm sure from the third, I feel like I have insights from relaunching Cleveland. So what's next? Well, what is next then? A big acquisition. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's next. I think that launching businesses is fun. I'm like a couple launches deep now. And I'm just like, I just want to go buy something big. And then probably I'll get bored and then it'll be like, let's launch something. (laughs) We're up to current, right? So we talked about cut and dry. You're here, you're prepping for some deal flow. Yeah, we have a ton of deal flow right now. So I went into 2021 backing out of Wilson Plumbing. Brandon here is running that company. Holly runs Cut and Dry. We have property management for our real estate. And that's the portfolio. So I stepped back into our holding company and said, it's time to focus sort of from a a corporate level viewpoint and really focus on building the business while other people run the business. Since December, I've been working on generating as much lead flow as possible for businesses inside our existing space, plumbing, HVAC, landscaping, and water treatment. The deal flow has been going really well, like probably too well. (laughs) I think when this episode airs, I'm going to be in hell week, which is next week. (laughs) I have, at this point, I have seven site visits all over Northeast Ohio. Like I'm going to seven different companies. In one week? Yeah. And then I also have, I think, five seller calls. It's going to be kind of chaos. The last two months, basically, all of January, February, and about half of December has just been generating as much lead flow as possible. I've been doing organic. I've been doing Twitter. I mean, we're doing this podcast for basically the same reason. Like, I think that we can generate lead flow from it. People knowing, hey, we buy home service businesses. So we're just doubling down across the board to keep constant lead flow coming opportunities and it's been it's been working it has like probably too much (laughs) normally i'm pretty contained but i've had to take some deep breaths this week (laughs) but i mean it's been fun like when i first started it felt like pushing a boulder up a mountain i was sort of getting progress but not like getting the deal flow i thought we needed and i settled into having conversations with businesses that just aren't a fit because I didn't think the deal flow was going to come. So I thought I was going to have to settle into some sort of hybrid thing. But now that the deal flow is there, I've, I've been able to really just focus on some really great companies. And there's like three or four great companies that I'm just super pumped about. If anybody knows me, I got to have something to take away from the entire conversation. So of 
the lead up to this point? What is the biggest mistake that's been made or the biggest lesson learned out of the acquisitions, the startups, the whole nine? The biggest lesson learned was where people fit. And it started with me because for the first three years, really four years, I was the person that didn't fit. And I kept putting myself into positions that I wouldn't succeed in, like day-to-day operator, startup guy. I just didn't understand my strengths very well. More importantly, I didn't understand my weaknesses very well. Like, hey, I'm not good at this. Because I thought I was. I thought I would be good at it. But I'm not at all. And once I learned that about myself, I was able to really start identifying the same strengths and weaknesses in other people and place the right people in the right seats. So over the past year and a half, the focus has been who's running what and are they the right person to be doing it. And that's across the whole platform. I've made a lot of mistakes in placing other people. But for the most part, I think you know we, we've learned a lot and we have a really good team now. And I'm doing the right thing inside the organization. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays into the next uh, several months. Or next week. Hell, next week. Hell week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to Own and Operated. Tune in next week where we talk about probably Hell Week. <laughs> <laughs>